The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome, everybody, to The Second Stage. I, uh, once again this week, get to... uh tackle this subject without Jeff. Jeff's, uh, as he likes to say, out on assignment. Uh, this week is, uh, it's, it's the, it's great because I get the, probably one of, uh, my favorite, um, uh, small business advocates, Bo Burlingham is going to join us and we're going to discuss, uh, his next book as promised, which is called Finish Big. Um, and, uh, which it's basically, uh, if you remember, he's also the author of a book called Small Giants, but, uh, this is um, the book about uh, about you know what all in my opinion every single entrepreneur in the world should should read because it goes through all of the different uh, thought processes and why business owners will do something or won't do something or, or should do something whether they you know bring on capital whether they should uh, you know you kind know, of keep it to pass off to their kids and so forth he really kind of does a wonderful wonderful job of uh, of addressing that and it's really uh, just as um, every bit of an entrepreneur's journey the exit the exit um, which is not uh, a topic most entrepreneurs think of when they get into it. Into it, but all entrepreneurs mu- must eventually go through this exit. Think about it again. You know, you're, you're, you won't run your business forever. Uh, in the book, uh, Bo identifies four phases necessary of creating a thoughtful plan for exit, as well as those factors most important when it comes to creating value and attracting the right partner or buyer. Uh, but before uh, we uh, bring on Bo, um, I want to remind everyone that this is uh, a, a program where we, where we try to provide actionable advice and where we you know, hope to have a dialogue with our listeners. And um, you can always uh, blog, see our blogs at uh, evolutionstv.com. We would love to hear you know, what you like, what you don't like, and, uh, and we truly want to become part of the uh, entrepreneurial community and would like you know, to, to that feedback. So uh, you can also connect with us at the second stage or connect with the second stage via Twitter at uh, evolution underscore CP uh, and join us uh, in discussing the, the second stage at hashtag the second stage as in T-H-E number two N-D stage. Um, and you can always email us at the second at the second stage at evolutioncp.com if you'd like to volunteer uh, to the community or experiences and solutions and so forth. Um, so, anyways, I uh, thought I would rehash. Uh, it's been a busy uh, busy week. Was uh, blessed to uh, have visited the Inc. Roco in Nashville. What a what a neat city that is, and what a what a wonderful. Uh, 
uh, venue for bringing entrepreneurs together, especially this time of year. Great music. If you know, if you haven't been there, please. It, it, it's it's a it's a neat city, and they they do seem to kind of embrace the entrepreneur entrepreneurial mindset and so forth. Uh, Inc. does a you know it, it's uh, Groco is one of their smaller of the two you know kind of big uh, you know kind of gatherings. They have the Inc. 500 5000, which uh, you know ten, and I'm guessing is probably two or three times as big as the Inc. Groco. But the speakers there are just they're wonderful. Uh, you have uh, the the uh, some of the Shark Tank people. You have some wonderful entrepreneurs. The stories and the and the actual advice is is fantastic. Uh, I, I was actually uh, lucky enough to speak at a panel about capital and partnerships and so forth. And it's just neat the the people you run into. It's kind of a small world. I uh, ran into uh, the probably the first person that that I talked to was a. Uh, uh, Shaker Heights High School grad, which is uh, the community that I live in. It's just kind of small world. An uh, uh, entrepreneur that uh, went to Vanderbilt and so forth, and uh, it's uh, uh, you know pretty quickly after that, you just meet some some people that have just got great stories, and it it really does. Uh, and I think what's so neat about those environments is just their their overall willingness to share and uh, and so forth. I was also lucky enough to. Um, uh, to be part of Inc. Ma- Inc. Magazine, last couple uh, uh, Grocos have asked me to be a sit in and be a mentor to a uh, to the uh, a, a military entrepreneur. And I got to tell you, again, this kind of small world story. He uh, this I'm not going to use his name because I'm not sure I, I didn't clear it, but wonderful, wonderful story. And actually, I'll kind of clear it and get back to you some other time. But um, unbelievable story. Uh, we uh, actually went to uh, Miami of Ohio, which is uh, Jeff uh, Cadlick, my partner's uh, alma mater. Uh, during 9/11, he sees uh, what happens and joins the uh, joins the army the next day. Uh, continues and finishes his degree, goes to the army, becomes a Green Beret, leaves the army, goes and gets into the uh, uh, Stanford Graduate School and uh, starts a small com- a small tech company and. Uh, just a small world because he is uh, he, he's his Stanford mentor is somebody that uh, that we at Evolution know know very well. So it's just kind of a small, wonderful, wonderful story, and uh, you know, quite frankly, just kind of feeds into some of the things we're talking about at, at uh, the second stage. While I was in Nashville, you guys probably remember our last show, we interviewed Arnie Malham. And Arnie is uh, the founder of a, an advertising agency and a lot more stuff, but heavily focused on the, on, in the, uh, for law firms. So while I was in Nashville, I uh, was thrilled to take a tour of CJ and, um, and just the wonderful, wonderful culture there. It's just, I, I just have to tell you, for those people that, that, that question the value of a culture and question the value of best practices and question the value of, of using you know, key metrics, uh, using uh, a system, he's a, he's a gazelles person, longtime gazelles person. And what's so neat is he's he's got multiple companies inside of his inside of CJ Advertising, and um, and he, you know, he 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 literally creates a culture inside of each each one of those, and it, it's just and he'll actually go to the point where he'll actually hire different uh, gazelles coaches or different business coaches for each one of those, and so it's just really really neat to see how core values run uh, run their course and how they can just literally drive a. It just you, you know you, when you see it, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and then the, actually, but that's not the reason I went to visit him. The main reason I went to visit him was to see to to see how he ran the Better Book Club, which is what we talked about on the last show. And 
Now, remember, his goals with the Better Book Club were to get all of the people in his organization reading these wonderful books, books like that Bo Burlingham writes. And, and they were actually – there were three of uh, Bo's books on the, t- on the shelf. But um, the, the website there is www.betterbookclub.com, and the, the goal really is to have – uh, a you know kind of a, a place where people can tell what books they have read and what they got out of them and suggestions and so forth and Arnie and his group actually go to the point where they actually pay I think they spent over seventy thousand uh, uh, dollars know, paying their 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 people to read the books that Arnie feels and, and the other you know uh, people feel they are valuable so again it's just it's it's got uh, us pretty pretty excited and um, uh, we're actually going to roll it out and using a little bit of a great by choice little rifle shot. We're going to try to kind of entice it with our we've uh, we've launched it here at Evolution and we're going to we're going to roll with it in some of our partner companies and uh, uh, stay tuned for how that develops. But hey, I uh, I'll stop rambling and um, I'm going to uh, uh, you know kind of take a break here and. Um, Hopefully, when uh, we get back, um, we can uh, we can talk to Bo Burlingham, who really is. If you remember his story, actually, I'll probably make you make you go through that. Um, uh, just an unbelievable advocate for uh, for small businesses and and uh, what we're all trying to do here. And so, um, I guess I'm supposed to read the end. So, before we go, I'd like to take a moment to uh, thank our sponsors, McGladry uh, LP, a leading provider of assurance, tax, consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 cities. And when we get back, um, I will um, have Bo Burlingham on the line. So, we'll, uh, we'll, we're uh, taking a break and we'll uh, – be back at the second stage in a couple moments. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance. Tax. Consulting. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. 
To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the second stage. Uh, as uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jeff is on assignment, but I've got a uh, I've got a much more uh, uh, much more informed uh, uh, guest here, uh, Bo Burlingham, uh, uh, author of the new book "Finish Big: How Great Entrepreneurs Exit Their Companies on Top." Welcome, Bo, and thanks for joining us. Uh, it's always a delight to be here, Brendan. Bo, I uh, I. You know, as you know, you, you and I have spent many, many a time sitting around chatting about uh, about entrepreneurship and the impact and so forth. And I know I asked you this the last time we were on the show, but please, one more time, tell me about how you decided that entrepreneurship and small business and so forth was a uh, was a place worth worthy of uh, spending a great deal of time. Well, I've been at Inc. for thirty two and a half years. Um, so the question is, uh, how did I, 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 and I got there basically at the beginning of 1983, which was a really a remarkable moment in business history because it was sort of the dawn of the entrepreneurial revolution and the entrepreneurial economy. Um, you know, up until up until the 1970s, uh, late 1970s, uh, entrepreneur was not a, uh, a compliment. It wasn't a compliment to call somebody an entrepreneur. But that was changing by the early 1980s. And uh, I had the opportunity to be there and have this sort of bird's eye view of what was going on. And, you know, that's when uh, all these companies that are household names today um, are we're we're just you know getting started and uh, i was uh, had the incredible opportunity to be in a position where i could get to know um, the companies and their leaders when they were all still pretty young so you know we're talking you know steve jobs and apple and bill gates and microsoft and Yvonne Chouinard and patagonia and tom stemberg and staples and on and on. Um, so it's, it's it, you know, it was impossible to be in that environment um, as I was uh, and, and not get excited about what was going on because it was such a huge change uh, from what uh, had, you know, from what the status quo had been uh, up to that point, you know what's 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 funny is you think about the topic of the book you're writing now, and you know to me it, it never as as an entrepreneur uh, it never occurred to me to start thinking about the exit. And tell me how you decided to to write this book. I mean, because it's 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 an interesting part of your career to think about this this book. Well, I agree. Uh, you're absolutely right, Brendan. Um, the the irony is is that um, Inc. Has never really Inc. wrote about everything having to do with entrepreneurs, uh, you know, starting businesses, growing businesses, financing businesses, managing people, 
you know, doing marketing and sales, handling suppliers, every aspect except one, namely the exit. And I think that that was a reflection, frankly, of our leadership, because I think that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, in fact, the vast majority of entrepreneurs, really sort of put off thinking about the exit until uh, it suddenly dawns on them that they're not going to live forever and that they've (laughs) got to figure something out. Um, And... Uh, but, you know, when I, I do a column in ink with uh, Norm Brodsky, who's a, you know, a very successful uh, serial entrepreneur. And um, back in 2006, he uh, we got together one day and he told me he'd just come back from a conference and he told me that he'd just gotten a great offer for his business and he was thinking about selling. Um so one thing led to another, and we wound up writing about the experience of his dealing with this offer um, month by month, literally pretty much as close to uh, real time as you can get in a monthly publication. And what struck me, other first place, uh, you know, I was fascinated by what was going on, but the second thing was that we got this incredible response from readers. Um, you know, we at one point we asked them to uh, write in and with advice for Norm on what he should do. We got like thousands of emails, <laughs> and, and uh, it made me realize that there was this huge gap in the uh, business literature, um, and that there was this sort of hunger out there for people to uh, who wanted to find out what the experience of selling a business was really like. And so that's and and you know the more I looked into it, the more I realized uh, that there that there is this huge gap in the business literature. I mean, if you Google sell, uh, if you Google um, starting a business or growing a business or financing a business or doing sales or whatever, you get millions of hits. Um, if you Google selling a business or leaving a business, you'll get about, I don't know, somewhere between a tenth and a fifth of that number. And practically everything there is about how to make sure you get the most money for your business, how to make sure you don't leave any money on the table. And, you know, that's certainly a part of it, uh, and it's certainly important Um you know, to get the reward that you've earned uh, by building a business. But people who've been through it will tell you that that's really only about 20 or 30%, and the other uh, 70 or 80% is all emotional. And so I did, what I did was I went out and, um, you know, I interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of entrepreneurs who'd sold their companies or, were in the process of selling their companies uh, or were getting ready to sell their companies. And uh, um, it was an incredible education for me. Um, and, and frankly, I have to say it changed in very, very fundamental ways the whole way that I th- think about entrepreneurship. 
Oh, I, I have my list of questions here, but but tell me how that changed because that's actually it, – it's your book does a wonderful job kind of just going through and talking about the different the different phases of, it, of, of a sale, the, the, how you mentally have to be, be prepared for certain things and, and it's just – but anyways, so what, what, what changed? Tell me how that – Well, what changed was uh, I realized that when – you know, people, we, we tend to, we talk about building a company, and we tend to think that it's, well, it's sort of like building a house or putting together some complex machine. And that's really the wrong metaphor, and metaphors are incredibly important. The real uh, metaphor, the accurate metaphor, is that building a business is a journey. And like every journey, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the end is not when you build a successful company. That's the middle. The end is when you leave that company. And when you start looking at uh, building a business as, uh, as a journey and you look at the whole journey, um, you begin to uh, think about the whole process differently. You know, it's as if you were going to go away on some faraway voyage to, you know, Kazakhstan or someplace like that, and all you planned was how to get to the airport. That's, that, that's, that's the way most people approach it. They take it, you know, as it comes. And it's also one of the ways that people get into uh, real trouble and wind up with all kinds of regrets um, that you know it's really it's it's really sad and you know the thing about it is is that the exit is really it's we we have all of this advice on how to start a business well the exit is a lot harder and there's a lot more at stake i mean if you if you go to start a business and it doesn't succeed what do you do you start another business if you if you spend 10 20 30 years building a company and you screw up the ending, it's a, it's a real personal tragedy. Um, and that's why it's so important. I became a, a big believer in the importance of uh, people educating themselves early on about exactly what the whole process is. You know, one, <clears throat> one of the things I realized was that most of us have the wrong idea of an exit. We think about it as an event that's going to happen uh, at some point in the uh, future of a company. But the exit is not an event. It's a phase of the business. You know, you have a startup phase. You have a growth phase. You have a mature phase. You also have an exit phase. And there are actually four stages to it. Um, the first stage. Was, is yeah, let's, and I apologize, but I actually fell away. But I've been able to hear. So let's talk about the the, the four phases because that's that's a great transition. Yeah, well, it's it's. I think people get in, in, intimidated in terms of thinking about an exit because they think, you know, particularly when they're starting out, how am I going to uh, think about something that's uh, presumably going to happen years and years from now, and I don't know anything about it and so forth. Um, but what they don't understand is, is that, is that the exit there, there are actually phases to, to, to going through an exit. And the first phase is something that there's, you can't start too early. And that is educating yourself about, okay, 
what is it? What's it like? What are the op- options? What are the pitfalls and that sort of thing? What are the experiences of other people? Um, the second phase is the strategic phase, and that's when you have some idea about the kind of options you'd like to have at the end. You want to build into your company the the qualities that are going to allow you to have the kind of exit that you want. The third phase is the execution phase, and unfortunately, this is the phase where most people start. You know, they they call up a broker, they call up an investment banker, uh, and they go through the sale. That's a big mistake, and it's one reason why so many people get in trouble. Uh, but basically, the execution phase is when you actually start the process of, um, you know, selling the business. And then the the final phase, which is the one that most people are totally unprepared for, is what comes afterwards. It's the transition from being the uh, owner and CEO of a business to question mark, what comes next? And um, it's it, it's very very disorienting for people. Well, and you do again. You spend some a lot of time in the book talking about some of the the the, the people and describing how they went through the 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 mental part of it and the people that had that had planned a little in advance had a had a, had something else to move on to. Maybe just talk briefly about. Maybe let me go all the way back to the beginning and talk about the exploratory phase. You mentioned that you can't start early enough. Maybe you know talk about maybe talk about some what some of the people did and 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 why the exploratory phase is a, is a, is is very important. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because there are actually two ways to do the exploratory phase. One is is that you can go and you can talk to as many, many people as you know who've actually been through it and, you know, gather their wisdom. The other thing you can do is put down 20 bucks or whatever it is and buy my book. Um, <laughs> I uh, love it. <laughs> Because that's basically what I did. I went out and I talked to dozens and dozens of people and I tried to distill their experiences. I mean, the people who, um, you know, really are best at it are the people who've either been through it themselves or they've uh, had other people, they've, they've surrounded themselves or they've had people they could talk to uh, who've seen a lot of exits and who have a lot of, I mean, you know, you guys at, uh, at Evolution Capital, um, provide very good advice to people because you've seen so many exits and uh um you know the so the way to really sort of prepare yourself is is to is to do a lot of uh research now there is this group in Chicago which is uh starting I write about them in the book and now they're going national um, called Evolve. Uh, their website is evolveusa.org. And basically they're organizing, um, they're doing coaching and they're organizing uh, groups of people who've either sold their companies or are planning to sell their companies. And um, 
it, it, it provides a way. It's sort of like uh, EO or mm-hmm. Vistage, uh, but for specifically focused on the final stage of the entrepreneurial journey. And um, having that uh, context, is it, it can be extremely valuable. Uh, you know, and Bo, Bo, you know, just to you know, back it up. When, when uh, I'm in a wonderful EO, uh, they they call it a, a quantum leap forum. So it's it's people that are around the, the North America, and we get together, you know, three or four times a year. And 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 a lot of the people in that group have sold their business, and it's amazing the people that had that had thought it through and planned it out, and and you know, kind of figured out what they were going to do next. They they seem pretty happy. The people that just all of a sudden got eighty five million bucks, or or you know, kind of want that former glory back of being able to kind of uh, walk in and, and have a hundred employees or whatever it is. And it really is a, it's, it's a real, it's a real issue. Um, I'll even take another, I'm going to take another, take another thing, Bo, that anybody listening and emails the second, uh, the second stage at evolutioncp.com, I'll, uh, I'll mail them a copy. I'll mail the first 25. I'll mail a copy of your book to them. So uh, hopefully we'll get them to, 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 you're, to, uh, you're great, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, you know, and I can you know, ask you, that, that was what, what you're talking about though, is, is really, this was a real revelation to me. Uh, because I tried to figure out, I, you, you know, when I went out and interviewed all these people, I found about half of them were very happy, you know, and had really moved on and found something that knew that they were engaged in. And about half of them were totally miserable. And I really tried to think about why the people who were miserable, what were the, what, what was it that made them so miserable? And it dawned on me that when you run a business, when you start and run a business, there are a lot of things you get out of it which you may not be aware of until you don't have them anymore. Um, things like a sense of purpose or an identity, or a tribe, you know, the people who you go in and work with every day, or, um, you you know, a sense of accomplishment. One of the great things about business is that you can actually see and measure how you're doing and where you're going. Um, A sense of structure. In other words, structure is basically knowing, you know, having some sense of what you need to do next. Well, business provides that. People who ha- who uh, haven't really uh, thought much about it, um, what happens is that you know one day they're the uh, owner and CEO of a business. All these people are depending on them, looking up to them, and, and the next day nobody's returning their phone calls, <laughs> and um, it's 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 a jarring, jarring experience. Uh, not having a sense of purpose is it's something that we all need. As my friend Jack Stack um, likes to say, everybody needs to be going somewhere. And, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and when you when when you when you aren't going anywhere, um, then you know you're lost. You you you. you it's, it's like you, you don't and, – and, and the problem is it, it often takes a while to figure out what it is that you've lost um, because it's often not immediately obvious to you. Um, so 
And, and the people I know who've had really, really great exits are people who've um, basically taken the money that they've made from selling their companies and figured out how to do something similar but on a higher level. And, and you know, one of the things, again, that I asked myself, what does it mean to have a sense of purpose? What, what, what is it? Well, when you think about it, a sense of purpose is about, all about service. And that's one of the things that happens when you have a business. Um, you know, at the very least, you're serving your customers or you wouldn't be successful. Um, you're probably serving your family as well. Um, for most people, they're serving their employees. Um, you know, for a lot of people, they're serving their communities. Um, and, um, you know, so when people ask me, what's the best way for me to prepare for my exit, I tell them, figure out who you're going to serve next. That's I, I like it. And, you know, and it's it's interesting because most business owners that are successful find their purpose of their business. So they find you know the thing that's driving them, or at least you know as as, as we try to as we try to teach it. You know, but when I was reading the book, I was I kind of jotted down uh, you know the kind of the characteristics or what I heard of the characteristics of a of a good exit, and you know one of which was that you know that people wanted to be treated fairly and you know felt. Mm-hmm. Felt compensated. Maybe you know. Maybe I'll kind of walk through the the things that I wrote down. I hope I didn't miss any. But um, um, you know, and then I, I kind of got the you know what I wrote down is the good exit, and then the kind of the five characteristics of, of a good exit. But you know, I, I wrote down they you know treated fairly and, and compensated fairly, and um, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know that then I wrote down you know a sense of accomplishment that they had kind of you know. That they, you know, that they had contributed something to the world. Um, is, I hope I'm paraphrasing that correctly. And then, yeah, no, that's right. A sense of satisfaction to how the, the people in their company and there's, you know, and the, and the other people that you know, their the community that was their company were treated. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, it's just something that you, that that a lot of sellers that we see out there don't think about until the very last. This is my, you know, evolution take. They don't think about it until. Very late in the game, and then it's kind of like, oh, wait a minute, what about everybody else? And that's, you know, that yeah. sometimes is too late. And then right. the sense of pur- sense of purpose outside their business, right? And then, and then you, the fifth one I had written down was that some people had, you know, that the companies had were, were created to go on without them. Um, and so right. I just, if you're a listener, just think about those things, and you know, they're big issues that need a lot of a lot of thinking. Um, right. And then I wrote I wrote down the five characteristics of a good exit. <laughs> you want you uh you want to you want me to you want to talk about some, you want me to talk, should we talk about some of those? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you hit them all. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of a bad exit, uh, there are lots of things. That it's pretty much the opposite of those five things. Um, you, you know, when you look at people who are really miserable afterwards, it's it may be because they feel that. Uh, you know that the process was un was was not conducted fairly, and they didn't get compensated uh, fairly. Uh, yeah. It's uh, you know, or um, you know that they are well. Usually, what happens is that is that something uh, something happens to the company, which uh, that the acquirer you know acquirer is going to do. <laughs> it is going to do what it's going to do with it, and 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 
you know, you if you're not prepared for that, you're liable to look at it and uh, and and feel really bad. Um, you know, and 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 often it's the it's your former employees who, um, you know, who are paying the price uh, for it. Yeah. Um, and and that can be wrenching. Uh, really, I mean, I talked to one guy who. Um, he'd gotten the advice from his lawyer and his accountant when he was going to sell his business that, that above all, he should not mention anything about it to anybody in the company. And so they worked out a deal whereby when he got bills from them, uh, it wouldn't say exactly what the bills were for. Well, he that went fine for a while, but then one day the accounting firm screwed up and sent him a bill that said for the sale of his company and then named the prospective buyer. Um, and he, Jack, that's what his name, Jack Altshuler, um, missed it. And so he gave a stack of bills to his assistant to be paid. And, you know, a few minutes later, she comes into his office and says, Jack, are you are you selling the company? And he's caught red-handed, so he says, well, yeah, I, I am, but I've been told by my lawyer and my accountant, you know, to keep it quiet. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that's why I haven't mentioned it to you or to anybody else in the so he so uh, uh, he apologized and she left and um, went back to her desk and about half an hour later she came in and she said you know Jack I, I've been with you for twelve years uh, I've been incredibly loyal I've done everything you've asked and, and I just feel betrayed by the fact that you didn't trust me with this information. Um, and he, this was, I was interviewing him about this 12 years after it had happened and he'd moved on and he was doing something else and he couldn't get through the story without completely choking up, um, emotionally. And, um, you know, it, it was just, it, it was something that obviously was, you know, had stayed with him long afterwards, and uh, uh, it was a it was a real um, it was a difficult thing for him. So yeah, that's, but, you're right. That's that 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 can be one element of a bad exit. <laughs> well, when 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 you when you're, I think you give some advice about how you you know about if you're planning to do an exit about um, you know how you need to look at your business you know with in the like effectively in the eyes of an outsider maybe talk about that for a second about why that's important and then fundamentally you know how long does it normally take somebody to really think through a lot of these issues well the first place um, well let me take the second question first because right. preparing preparing for your exit is, is something that take years um, and the more ambitious you are about your exit, the longer it's going to take. In other words, if you're somebody who wants to build a company that's actually going to last after you and remain independent after you, 
it's going to take an awful lot more time to get there than than it is for someone who basically just wants to grow it and sell it. Um, and uh, it doesn't really care if the company remains independent afterwards. Um, you know, it's it, usually what happens is, is that if, if, if you haven't done the planning when you first um, begin to begin, when you start to begin thinking about um, selling it, then, you know, don't plan to sell it in, uh, you know, a year or something like that, because if you do and you haven't done the preparatory work, the chances are much, much higher that you're going to have a miserable exit. Um, usually, you have, you're in a situation, you may well be in a situation where, you know, you haven't done enough preparation and uh, it, before you can sell it, you're going to have to go through that preparation. Now, this gets to exactly to the first question, which is namely, what is that preparation? And one of the things that, um, you know, I became uh, convinced of um, was that um, the best way to build a business um, is uh, is is to build a business that even the most finicky buyer would want to buy. Um, you know, I think we have the wrong idea about this. This is another lesson that I learned. Most people think that if they build this really successful business, that then they'll won't have trouble finding a having a successful exit. In fact, the opposite is true. If you focus on building a business that even the most finicky buyer would want to build, you will have a great company. <laughs> um, you know, Harold Janine, uh, the... Uh, uh, the man behind who sort of invented the conglomerate when he was uh, head of ITT, uh, he, he wrote a great book called Managing. And he says in that, you know, you read a book from the beginning to end, you run a business from the end to begin to the beginning. You figure out where you want to go, and then you work backwards from that. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, the most finicky buyers around are private equity people because their whole livelihood depends on making good choices and doing it right and getting the kind of results that are going to allow them to earn the returns for their own investors. Um, and I'm a big advocate of learning as much as you can from private equity buyers, whether or not you ever intend to sell, you know, to a private equity buyer or to any other third party. I mean, even if you intend to eventually sell it to your employees or, or you know, turn it over to your children or what have you, you're just going to have a much better company if you've, um, if, if you've really... Uh, you know, built it so that the people who are most 
sophisticated about this process would would want to own it. And, you know, I don't have to tell that to you, uh, Brendan, because that's what you guys do at Evolution Capital Partners. Well, and I'd say, Bo, you know, we, we you know, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And, 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 you know, obviously evolution is funny. When I was reading your book, I was, I was thinking you know, when you were going through the strategic part, you know, about, you know, about, you know, yeah. when, when entrepreneurs are thinking that through, it's like, you know, evolution, you know, I, I was like, my God, that's where evolution fits for that small subset of, yeah. of people that are doing their planning that feel like they need capital, you know, and, and from an evolution perspective, we don't care whether they go around and sell it to a bigger private equity fund, sell it to a strategic or quite frankly, just keep growing it because it really is in that phase, that period when you're really, you know, kind of looking at your business as an outsider should look at it. You're looking at it from a, you know, from a, from, you know, you're putting in that infrastructure that, as you say, the most picky buyers would appreciate that it, you are building the foundation, you're building the scale, you're building the processes to really drive the business. And, and that's what, and that's what, unleashes the value and you know whether like you said whether you do you know whether you're going to hand it to your kids your employees or sell it to you know to ge or whatever so yeah and 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 you know as uh as one of the people i interviewed um said he said um he, he actually wrote a paper which is 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 extremely informative on learning from private equity um but he said, you know, the secret, the reason why uh, private equity um, uh, funds uh, make so much money is that they do understand uh, what it is that creates value in business. And if you own a company, that's what you want to do. You want to create value in your business. And, you know, in order to do that, you have to do what you just mentioned, which is to learn how to look at your business from the point of view of someone who has no emotional connections to it, but who is just looking at it objectively and saying, you know, this is a really, really well-run business. And, and I know in your book you go through, and I, and I wasn't planning to go here, but I think it's a great transition. Um, you t- you discuss the you know the sellability score and the different factors that drive value. And in, in, in for any listener out there, if when you're thinking about creating, um, you know about about planning an exit or planning the beginning, middle, and end. Um, these are really these the things that you bring up are really important. I mean, you know, financial performance. It, the right. fact of the matter is, companies that perform and can predict their performance are are more valuable, right? Yeah, and, that's absolutely true. And I would, I, but and I would emphasize that um, you know, this is true even if you have a, a business with a higher purpose. Um, even if you have a business uh, and your main goal, you know, like the businesses that I write about in Small Giants, my previous book, and or, or uh, you know, the businesses that I wrote about with uh, the business I wrote about with Jack Stack, uh, The Great Game of Business at, at, at Springfield Remanufacturing, Whatever your goal is for the business, you still are going to have a much better business if you do focus on those financial uh, drivers. Um, and, you, you know, 
some people make the mistake of thinking that that the two are in conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, focusing on the finances and focusing uh, on the higher values of the company are in conflict. The opposite is true. You know, they absolutely go together. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, if, if, if you make the mistake of thinking that your values uh, are more important and therefore you don't need to focus on the uh, financial side of the business, you will someday find that, in fact, you don't have a business um, in which to uh, promote your values or through which to promote your values. I'll run through the list of what I wrote down. Hopefully, I got them right for the sellability score and kind of value. And, and again, these are all big topics, but you know, financial performance, potential growth, um, overdependence or concentration on a on a customer, a vendor, or an employee, or whatever. You know, and number four I have is cash flow. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you know, cash flow is what is is the value that people are paying for, and and the more you can predict that cash flow, the higher the value, uh, which then drives the number five, which is recurring revenue. You know. Uh, the, 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 re- the revenue that you don't have to go out and replace every year has just got a whole lot more value to it. Um, unique value proposition. Uh, you know, what is it that you do differently than your competitors? Uh, customer satisfaction. You know, it's just the fact that matters if, if your employees love you or your, your customers love you, it goes a lot farther. And then, you know, if, if it's the strength of management team. You know, Jeff and I are lucky enough to visit, you know, three, four, five hundred uh, or talk to three, four, five hundred management teams a year. And, and the lion's share of small businesses are still built around one. One or you know if they're lucky, two people. So it's uh, yeah. you know those those are big big um, you know drivers. And uh, you know I don't know. Well, I, I, I want to give credit here to um, the person who invented the sellability score, and that's John Warlow, um, who we've had on the and, show. He's who's great. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I am a big. I mean, there are other companies that do similar things. The the difference between the difference uh, of the sellability score is that it's free and available. You don't pay for it. They get their money in another way. Um, you, y- y- anybody can go and take the questionnaire, and they have developed a very uh, sophisticated algorithm that actually gives you a rating on each of those factors that you just ran through, as well as an overall rating on sellability. And the great value of it is that that becomes something that you can use as a benchmark um, for an, a set of benchmarks, I should say, for improving your company. Um, and making your company more sellable, make, which is another way of saying making your company more valuable. When I was uh, reading the book, one of the stories that really rang true to me, um, and, and again for for all the all the obvious reasons, was your story about uh, Martin Babinick and his company, and about how when he took on capital that first time, there was a there was a he was he got a certain amount of capital, and when he got a certain mark or he reached a certain objective, uh, he would get another amount of capital, and how it, it maybe talk about how you know. 
his mindset when he finally realized he had a partner that was going to hold him accountable to hitting those things because it's I, I love the story and it really just kind of you know rings true about when you get a partner maybe talk about and I probably gave too much away but talk about well, Martin's it, story I I one of the things that set Martin apart uh, his company uh, was Trinet um, which is now a uh, a large public company um, he's on the board but he's he's no longer involved in management at all. Um, and the thing that was striking about Martin was that when I interviewed him and asked him if he had gone through any of these difficult transition issues that um, that I'd heard and seen from so many of the people I'd interviewed, he said, no, not at all. And we dis- uh, we got into a, a deep discussion about well why not, and he he said that the, he felt that the key thing for him was when he started taking on investors, he began he he, he realized that he was no longer sort of a free agent that he was now working for the people. Who, um, who were frankly depending on him to do a good job of leading the company and making sure that their investments um, were valuable, um, and that included uh, people who uh, employees. Uh, he'd gotten a very, very uh, high quality employees who had many, many options of where they might go to work, but they came to work for Trinet because they believed in what he was doing and because they were willing to to take less money to work for Trinet because they were getting equity. Well, um, Martin appreciated the fact that that gave him really a moral obligation. Uh, to make sure that what he was doing was going to be right for them uh, and and right for his other investors. I mean, at one point I tell the story about, uh, and I told it in Small Giants as well, he got to a point where he was literally, you know, a couple of weeks from going out of business and he was rescued by some local investors, angel investors in, in San Leandro, California, uh, where Trinet was based, and you know, he realized that he had a very big obligation to them. Um, that's that's and, great. And 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 it, because he had that understanding, as time went along, he um, he was able. He, he always understood that he was going to leave at some point um, and that um, he was going to leave when he, he, he realized that it was going to be best for himself as a shareholder and all the other shareholders to have someone else leading the company. He, he hoped that at some point Trinet would go public he knew that he didn't want to be the CEO of a public company, and he subsequently decided they didn't want to be chairman of the board of a public company. So with that understanding, 
from a very early stage in his journey, he was able to look forward and really figure out what he what would what he would really love to do um, when he had left Trinet. So that by the time he actually did leave Trinet, he had already like four or five different projects underway. That's and, great, Bo. Hey, yeah. Bo, and I apologize. I knew I know I promised you some breaks, and I didn't give them to you because I, I was I was enjoying the conversation so much. But um, hey, believe it or not, I, I've used up all of my the entire hour. So oh, hey, for all okay. listeners, I hope hope you enjoy today's show and join us next Monday on the second on the second stage. Uh, we have two wonderful, inspiring entrepreneurs, a, a mother and daughter team who will share their stories and and extraordinary business they've built called Squeeze In. So please uh, help, look forward to joining the conversation, and please uh, join us in the passion for possibilities. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.